This episode of The Sleeper and the Bus is brought to you by Out of the Park Baseball 18, the best baseball strategy game ever made. Available now on PC, Mac, and Linux platforms. It's officially licensed by MLB and MLBPA, allowing you to take any team from any era, from any level, and run it the way you want with unprecedented depth, control, and authenticity. New for this year, 2017 opening day rosters, historic Negro League integration, run the ultimate what-if scenarios, tournaments, fall leagues, a redesigned injury system, an improved 3D game, real-time presentation, and game highlights, improved player morale, and team chemistry, and so much more. Out of the Park Baseball 18 has the full sleeper in the bust stamp of approval. We all play it and have for years. Even better, if you buy now through the Sleeper in the Bust podcast, you'll receive a special 10% discount off the retail price of $39.99 by going to ootpdevelopments.com, click on the order banner, and just enter the code SLEEPER18 at checkout to not only get a discount, but also help support the Sleeper in the Bust, indie sports video game development, and all the people who work to bring you the great game of Out of the Park Baseball 18. Once again, just go to ootpdevelopments.com, click on the order banner, then enter the code SLEEPER18 at checkout for a special discount and to support our show. Guys, I, I'm obsessed with this game. It is so much fun. Um, I played a lot of OTP17. You guys have heard me talk about my Twitch streams, twitch.tv slash pspore24. I was streaming my 17 franchise over there. I, I, I did a fantasy draft in 1995. I was able to get Ken Griffey Jr., and Pedro Martinez. I don't know what the computer was thinking there, uh, letting letting both of those guys get there. I took Pedro with my first pick, and then and then got Ken Griffey Jr. I haven't started my new eighteen one for um, for streams yet, but I'm going to. And I'm actually just gonna gonna start over. I, I I won the World Series that first year with the with the seventeen team, but I'm gonna start a new one. We'll do the draft at some point soon, so stay tuned for that. But out of the park is is just so much fun. You've heard me talk about. Uh, other baseball video games I like, they're, they're two different experiences. This is the sim, in-depth, management sort of deal, and then the other game is, is playing. So um, I absolutely love this game. One last time, ootpdevelopments.com. Sleeper18 is, is your discount code. Uh, that lets them know that we, that we sent you there, and they give you a little bit of uh, a little bit off the top as well. If you do play the game, let me know. Let me know what you're doing with it. Let me know what, uh, what team you're going with, whether you're starting historically or going from now. Uh, if you do the fantasy draft, hit me up on Twitter, at Spora. I love kind of seeing how people go because it, it doesn't just play out 100% to, to history. Things can change and you can have guys you know you can have a failed prospect that actually pans out for you so i I love seeing that stuff definitely hit me up there um and 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 thanks for supporting the show by by going to ootpdevelopments.com Welcome to episode 468 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Sunday, June 11th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined not only by Jason Collette, but also special guest, Ian Kahn of AMC's Turn. Jason and Ian, how you guys doing? Doing great. Doing great. Great to be here with you, Paul. Thank yes. you so much for coming on. Jason, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm, I'm glad that we're doing this again. Um, Everyone for those knows who saw my two. reaction. We tweeted it out. Yep. <laughs> 
It's take for, two. We're not going to lie. This is we'll take two. We don't know what happened, but we'll just say in take one, we predicted Jeff Hoffman to dominate for eight innings against the Cubs. We predicted anything awesome that happened yesterday in baseball. Uh, and, I had, and anything I had terrible. Alonso down for seven hits in, in the doubleheader. Uh, no, here's the thing, guys. You missed an amazing podcast into the ether. It's not going to come back. As Ian said, it's not going to happen again. This is still going to be great, but it's not going to be as great. The first one <laughs> was amazing, and it's just for the three of us now. It's just for the three of us to enjoy. But you know what? Ian's schedule cleared up, was able to come back on today, so that's huge because we were really excited to talk with him. Uh, if you guys don't watch AMC's turn, we will talk about it more a little bit later, but you need to. I'm one, of, I'm one such person that needs to. It is on Netflix, and the final season premieres next Saturday. Again, we'll talk about that later. But, Ian, first, I just want to say – Thank you for being on, and we got to talk some baseball. I, I when we talked yesterday, I was I was getting to know you. Now I feel like I know you, so I have to kind of get back in that mode of hey, I don't really know this guy that well, and 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 pretend like I don't know about your fantasy baseball prowess. But let's go ahead and 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 talk about uh, uh, how you got into the game. How long have you been playing? Is it do you have other actors that you play with? And then we'll talk about the formats that you like. What was your what's your experience with fantasy baseball? Yeah, well, uh, first of all, it's great to be back. It was one of the most fun 65 minutes that I can remember having in a long time. Um, and it you know, like we said, it's something that the three of us will will have always. Um, I started playing fantasy baseball when my younger brother invited me into a sort of home league with with other actors. And I, I just loved it. I grew up playing baseball. I played all the way through high school. I played in college uh, for a little while before I had some arm trouble. Uh, so I've always been a passionate baseball player, but I never got into this sort of fantasy, uh, fantasy world. I was just sort of a, uh, a baseball fan. And, and then when I started playing fantasy baseball, it, it really it, it was like it brought my, my enjoyment level of the game to just the, such a high level. Um, and, uh, and I've loved it ever since. Um, and I, so I started out playing really just in a, in a, in a, it was a head to head points league. I think it was to start out. And then my friend Marcus Potter, uh, who you guys do know, Mm -hmm, um, brought, brought me into, he, I asked him to join the league and he's an actor. He was an actor back then. Now he's a very successful director doing fantastically well. And I said, Hey, I'm, I'm, I, the next year, I think I started my own fantasy baseball league. And I say, Hey, you want to join? He's like, yeah, totally. Let's do it. So then the year after that, he invited me into my first keeper league which was a Yahoo League. Um, and then in 2012, I, I was doing really well and I loved it. And I had grown up sort of playing, it was like playing Madden, um, but it was I, I was sort of stuck on 2K5, right? NFL 2K5. And I wouldn't, like we were talking about yesterday, I wouldn't even play the games. All I would do is build teams and try just to build. build and sim. Build and sim. Build and sim. And just do seasons and... And I loved it so much, and I and so Marcus invited me into this really great dynasty league. It's uh, now it's the Prospect Three Hundred and Sixty One Dynasty League One. Uh, it's got people uh, like uh, Joel Hennard, John Halpin, uh, Tim McLeod, Rich Wilson, and I sort of joined that league and just kind of it was like I it was, it was like I finally found my home because there was nothing that I was enjoying more because it, all of a sudden the game opened up to it wasn't just the players that were playing it was also you know there's low A there's there's high A there's the double A triple A there's the the MLB draft and and to be able to follow these players it was just fascinating i had a a quick rebuild and i, I found some early success in my second season so uh that sort of just got me rolling and and from there i i i play in a number of leagues including the Gotham League that Jason um 
I was going to say, that's how you we got hooked up with you is Jason Auctioneers, one of your leagues, yes? Right. Jason Auctioneers, a league that Alex Cushing, who is, I'm going to say this again, the best fantasy baseball player in the country, as far as I'm concerned. I know that gets his head a little big. Alex, if you're listening to this, you got a lot of love on take one. So just (laughs) keep that in mind. Yeah, you really did. Well, his numbers sort of prove that. Um, And so in that second year in the Dynasty League, I actually beat out Alex for the championship. Um, and he was like, you know what, you're you're a really strong player. Why don't you come join this this group of players, which includes Jason? You know, you know everybody who's in this league. It's um, it's Nando Defino and Joe Sheehan and Tim Heaney and um, Steve Koz. Um, yes, it's a loaded room. It's it a loaded room. Holy cow! That is that is a shark tank. There yeah. were very very few bargains uh, in the auction format. I mean, having uh, being familiar with the prices and and doing those. Um, despite all the noise that was going on in the back in, in the restaurant, um, I could just in my head I was thinking, not really a bargain, not really a bargain. And I think Alex was making a joke at one point, saying, "Nice price, nice price," and <laughs> you know, just because he just was having fun with it. Um, and then somebody was like, "Well, if it's a nice price, why didn't you bid?" And you could tell he was just joking around because you know he was putting together quite a team. Yeah, well, he's running away with with that fifteen team league. Um, and so, and I, as I said yesterday, I had a challenging auction to say the least, but I got really lucky with, uh, some of my, some of my, uh, my reserve round draft. I, I got really lucky and I grabbed, uh, Aaron judge and Yonder Alonso and some pickups that have helped a lot of in Cody Bellinger and, um, and Jason. that's a nice reserve round right there. Just yeah. those three right there. We're going to talk more about some of these uh, guys like Alonzo, these veteran first basemen that are coming up. Uh, but you've had some interesting insights on Judge, and so I kind of do want to uh, touch on him a little bit. You said that you picked up Judge everywhere. Now I'm gonna, you know, cop to the fact that I was fading him hard. Had Both no of us real were. interest. Yeah, we just were not interested after a 44% strikeout rate. You are a Yankees fan. We'll put that out for full disclosure. But your affinity for Judge came from something else. What was what was something that you'd heard about Judge that kind of made you interested in, in going back to the well with a guy who struggled so much last year? Well, there were there were there were a number of different reasons that sort of led me to put Judge in, and it also put Alonzo on that same uh, in that same category for me. We talked a little bit yesterday about spring training stats and how spring training stats really aren't of much use and that they're not to be taken seriously. However, I think. In, in certain cases, certainly with pitchers, if we look at what Kyle Gibson has done over the course of this season, he certainly, <laughs> he certainly proved that spring training stats don't, don't really... Tanaka. Mean. Tanaka was brilliant Yeah, that's right. Tanaka was brilliant. Tanaka is just... Uh, yeah. But, um, but Judge and, and Alonzo, both of them, were, were showing some, 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 some new things. Uh, Judge was showing a, a better uh, control of the strike zone. Alonzo was showing power. You know, he was he hit I think eight or nine home runs over the course of spring yeah. training. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about a guy who is uh, who who wouldn't hit eight or nine home runs over the course of a season, so there was something different going on for Alonzo that that and you know we we are starved for information between November and March, right? We're dealing with the same set of rankings. We all have our ideas of who these players are, and then all of a sudden when they show up in March, we see what what they've become over the course of an off season. And I just saw a different mindset for specifically for Alonzo, but back to Aaron judge, I read an article uh, talking about one of the scouts for the Yankees who said that Aaron judge is the closest thing that they've seen to the temperament of Derek Jeter. And I was like, what are you talking about? Derek Jeter? And (laughs) I was like, really Derek Jeter. And they talked about his background, right? And as an actor, I'm always looking at 
how people get to the places that they become. He was a he was a young man who was adopted by a family, and he has zero sense of entitlement. He's a very polite young man that people often talk about. And one thing Joe Girardi said when they were talking to him in the spring was, "How is he going to handle if he goes through really down times?" And he said, "This young man is a different kind of different kind of animal. Uh, he is such a centered, grounded young man that he can handle his failure." And so I watched him who you know, hit 168 or something with 44% strikeout rate last year. And he came into spring training, and he did not look scared. Like we were talking about how Chris Tillman, after he had walked you know, with so many people, you could just see the fear in his eyes. Aaron yeah. Judge never had that experience. And then I saw what he was doing in spring training, and I thought, everyone else is going to be afraid of him. Um, it's a really good buying opportunity. And you know, even though Aaron Hicks was showing so much in spring training, the Yankees believed enough in Judge that they were going to run with him from the beginning. And uh, and it's really been a, a, a great help in every league. Yeah, I tell you, it one really of the has. things. Go ahead, Jason. Uh, I was going to say one of the reasons I know Paul and I were, were fading him because we, we were looking at Javi Baez the previous year, same kind of trend where he had the high strikeout rate, uh, and there was so much hype coming into the season for him. And I was running. A couple people asked me, "Hey, what do you think?" And I'm like, "Let somebody else deal with the risk." I wish I would have taken on that risk because power is power. But you pointed one of the things I wanted to, to highlight was the piece you read about comparing him to Derek Jeter because we do see a lot of these, you know, quote unquote fluff pieces during spring training when guys are, you know, there's, there's not much to report on unless a guy's getting sent down or a guy gets hurt. You know, Eno wrote the piece on Yonder Alonso changing things. One that I wish I would have seen um, was on Justin Smoke. Back, I'm looking at the article right now, it was on March 12th out of the Toronto Sun, and he basically talked about how he was going to change things. He's like, I'm reading a quote, I think, case, right? I think for me mentally, it's just don't give a crap. I think in the past I've cared too much and was harder on myself than anybody. I have taken, fa- I haven't taken failure well. I worry about, I worry about the wrong things. This year, my mindset is to enjoy the game. You're on a good team. You have our opportunity. Make the best of it. And, you know, wow. you've seen, we'll talk more about smoke later, but that, that kind of information, I think in the past, we've kind of glossed over it, like whatever, it's a couple of lines in a, in a spring training story, but then you go back and put the pieces together and Justin smoke is hitting like we thought Justin smoke would when he was traded from Texas to Seattle to get Cliff Lee or the other way around, uh, yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. It's like, oh yeah. He was really good at one point, and now you know, exactly. why, why wasn't he good? So we'll talk more about that later, but the, I'm, I know for me personally, I'm going to start reading those pieces in March and February more carefully because we keep finding things like this later on in the season that kind of point to where this change began. And, and it, mentally, it, you can change all you want about launch angle and, and you want to, the way you're approaching it, but it all starts in the head. It's true. It and really if does. I can just say that in every, every part of life, in my, in my field as an actor, it, it, what you bring into the room is, 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 you know, every time you go to audition for a role, it's like getting up to bat. It really is. And if you go in there knowing that you're, gonna, you've got, you're ready to go and you're not scared, you're well prepared for what's coming, yeah, sometimes you're going to get it, sometimes you're not. Sometimes you're going to pop out, you'll strike out, but sometimes you're going to hit the home run. And it's, it's the mental mindset that is something that I'm always looking at with, uh, with players. It's it's so important, and you hear it a lot talked about your mental state in any job that you have or any endeavor that you have being so important. But you hear it so much that maybe it kind of gets washed out and maybe sounds trite. But it's it's so true. It's so true in baseball. 
is is probably the most mental of the sports because it is all those one-on-one battles and you can really start to beat yourself up when things don't go well or uh, maybe even get complacent when things do go well. You look at what Judge went through last year, it really has to make you feel good about, sure, he's going to have his one for 18 coming up. It's probably not going to phase him because unless he goes 15 for 95 again or whatever it was last year with a 44% strikeout rate, it can't be worse than 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 what he's already been through. And then, like you said, some of the, uh, his upbringing uh, has already prepared Aaron Judge to to, to kind of deal with uh, what baseball can throw you, and it can it can humble you quickly. But that dude has been amazing, breaking his own records. He set a new Statcast record yesterday with a 121 mile per hour. Home run. It was ridiculous. <laughs> he's so really filthy. Was. And he has five stolen bases, too, by the way, just, just for fun. And he's hitting 333. Uh, yeah. Here's, here's an amazing batting average, obscene power, and I'll just throw in some stolen bases for, for, for fun. There. Oh, yeah, so, and pretty uh, obscene yeah, defense from times. I remember the, there was a catch he made against uh, Tampa Bay and a ball to the gap that should have been a double. One of the best double. plays of the year. It should have been a double, and he just went out and was like, even me, I just had to stand up in my room and just be like, that, that was a really, yeah, really was, good play. It was fantastic. Uh, Ian, so you mentioned that you play a lot of uh, Dynasty and Auction. That seems to be your favorite format. Uh, and I think it harkens back to what you said about the team-building aspect. That's something that you like where you can follow these guys over several years. And you seem to have a very patient approach. So is it something with the Dynasty that you're not going to give up on a guy with pedigree just because of a, a bad season? That, how do you maintain that sort of uh, commitment to these players, even in the face of, of poor stats? Well, it depends on, on, on your circumstance when you're going into a Dynasty League, right? So I, I just joined uh, an, another Dynasty League this past, not this year, but the season before. And I was drafting for 2017 from the beginning. So every choice that I was making was, and I used uh, Tom Trudeau is also just one of the best Dynasty League players Great. that there Great are. Great trader. Um, amazing trader and has an understanding of psychology as well. Because what ends up happening is when Dynasty teams start to regress, <laughs> the one thing they want to do is they want to rebuild. And the thing that they want to rebuild from is young bats. Because we can look at what's happening with Francis Marte this, this season, right? And we can look at someone like Max Fried, who we all were very excited about coming into this season to yes. see what is Max Fried going to bring. Well, young arms are, are just not... They're, they're not sellable on, on the market. So when teams finally make that choice, we talked a little bit yesterday about that, that time between you know late April and the first couple of weeks of May is a prime time to make trades in Dynasty Leagues because that's when people are starting to figure out they're not going to make it. So you don't want to be in the middle. You don't want to be in the middle in a Dynasty League. You either want to be going for the championship or you want to be building for the time where you are going for the championship. When that time comes that a team is ready to sort of sell off their players what they're going to be looking for is young bats so Mm -hmm. what i did going into last season was i I focused on you know i got i believe chris bryant in the first round Corey seager in the second round and then focused my attention on um players like you darvish michael brantley um and then top bat prospects so while everyone else was going and grabbing players that were going to help them in 2016 i had no interest in 2016 there was no I, i was going for it didn't matter what the score said because i'm trying to build a dynasty and the way mm-hmm. you build that dynasty is by accumulating as much talent as you can so you can then move those players and trades later on when it's your time. And so I used Trudeau's list and, uh, you know, bought Bregman late, bought Aaron Judge. I think it was in the 18th round I got Aaron Judge. Um, traded Bregman and Manaya this year for Sale in a deal for Chris Sale. I like that. Right, That's a good right, deal for I, both. Yeah, right in that spot, right before it became clear that Bregman wasn't going to be who Bregman was. Um, but it, but you know, sale is 
putting me to the top of the you know top of the heap. And so I I I I love dynasty leagues. It's just the I enjoy the redraft leagues as well. But dynasty leagues is really my 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 biggest passion. And it's just a lot of fun to have again have the players over a long period of time, watch them develop. And I bet, and I might, this is just speculation, that, that it helps you in your redraft leagues when you come in and, and maybe some folks, because when you're playing redraft, maybe you're not as involved with the minor leaguers so that when a minor leaguer comes up, your dynasty league experience has you saying, oh, I know about this guy. I've known about this guy for four years. I know he's gone through this, that, and the other. I'll pick him up or I'll, I'll stay away from him for whatever reason. So I think it gives you a leg up across Absolutely. all your leagues when you play dynasty to, to kind of have that, uh, that minor league. And that long-term so. perspective to look at a guy like Yonder Alonso. I mean, we're going to talk about him later, but I went back and saw the baseball America top 100 from 2009. He was, I think a, like the 18th prospect in baseball back then. He was an so, elite prospect for Cincinnati, right? A, yeah. a big part of that Matt Latos trade. It's easy to forget now because he's fallen into like a poor man's James Loney for so long, but Yonder Alonso was supposed to be, an impact player and only now is he finally realizing that you know what get the ball in the air and you can you can be a beast and he's having a tremendous season 16 homers uh that's yeah, seven he for was, 10 yesterday i'm looking at, at it now i'm looking at it now in 2009 he was the 35th overall prospect in 2010 mm-hmm. 45th 2011 73rd and then 2012 33 Bounced he was no worse he was no worse than the fourth best prospect in the reds organization any one of those times Yep. I'm looking at wow. the baseball cube. It allows you to go back and look at and look at these things. And you look uh, at baseball cube underrated, by the way. For pe- people don't mention the baseball cube enough for some of the stuff yes. they have. College data, prospect data. Go ahead, Ian. Oh no, I, just going along on that same line. I mean, we're going to talk about Logan Morrison and his. You know, he was number in 2009 on that list. He was at number 18. You know, he was somebody who was going to be somebody. So Logan Morrison has been picked up and dropped in every dynasty league for the last five years. Everybody's waiting oh, for the breakout, right? A million well, times. Yeah. People are just waiting. Yeah, because is it is it ever going to show up? And now we're seeing 17 home runs and 189 at-bats, and we're, we're seeing legitimate power, and we're seeing comfort, man. It's a, this game is a, is a, it's a mental game. It's about how comfortable you are. It was one of the things I saw with Alonzo in spring training. When he would hit that home run, it wasn't a look of relief. It was a look of damn straight. <laughs> and I, I've been working toward this. This, this. Exactly. This is the work I've put in paying dividends. And, yeah, Eno did write a great piece on, on how he just was committing to getting the ball in the air because he knew that that's where he was going to get some power and production from. But uh, I want to talk a few pitchers first. Before we before we get to those uh, first basemen and just some young interesting arms that I want to get both y'all's thoughts on uh, again talking about Jeff Hoffman we were going to talk about him yesterday in the lead up to the Cubs start now we have that in in, in the rear view goes into Chicago and looks really sharp against the Cubs three straight great starts all on the road though his one. And it wasn't even a bad start, but his worst start was clearly the one at home. I think he went five innings and allowed three runs. Uh, Jeff Hoffman does have pedigree, number nine overall pick. He was the key piece from Toronto to Colorado in the Troy Tulowitzki deal. Ian, I'll start with you. What is your current assessment of Jeff Hoffman now on the heels of, of four strong starts, three of which have been brilliant, but also on the road? Well, you know, I mean, it almost feels like a new age in Colorado. It almost feels like we can take the old adage of if he pitches for Colorado, we don't even need to look that way. Um, mm-hmm. And as you said, coming into the season yesterday, you said John Gray was the one guy that we were sort of opening our doors to. But now you're looking at what Hoffman's doing. And I mean, going into Chicago against that lineup, yeah, they're struggling, but 
not really. I mean, they had just run off quite a bit, quite a great run, and he just more than held his own. And that pedigree is important. And he, you know, I was looking back at some of the uh, write-ups about him, and, and, and this is not out of nowhere. And he dealt in the PCL and, you know, struggled there as everyone does. But then now he's, he's seeming to be somewhat for real. I think so, too. I mean, he's got a deep enough arsenal, I think, to succeed and, 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 and probably the diversity of arsenal to succeed in Coors Field. And succeeding mm-hmm. in Coors is a different level, right? Succeeding is probably a lot of baseline quality. Start six innings, three runs, which I know is a 450 ERA. But if you're dominating on the road and you mix it together, you're still dealing with somebody who's uh, hopefully well under four. He's got four-seam slider curve change. I think he really has been leaning on the curve. It's at 17% usage because he's been on the road. I wonder if he'll change that a bit when he when he has a run of home starts for Jeff Hoffman. Maybe he can go four-seam slider a little bit more, mix in the changeup. He's only been using that 4% of the time this year. But he throws 95 with all four pitches. Jason, uh, you mentioned that he's available in some of your leagues right now. Like, what what are you, what are you going to put on a, on a Jeff Hoffman on the heels of of this uh, big run? Yeah, he is available in my in my NFBC league, and let's see, I have four hundred ninety two dollars, and I put a six hundred ninety two dollar bid on him. So you I borrowed, was aggressive. Right? Yeah, you I took was aggressive. Out a loan. Uh, <laughs> I like it. But no, I, I I watched the game. I went back and watched the start last night because uh, I couldn't fall asleep because I was still angry about the lost episode. So I <laughs> I stayed up. And I I went back and watched it on the replay, and it's it's. I mean, the fastball explodes. He's got a lot, nice run on it. He was working at 94, 96, touching 97. Um, has some really nice run to it. And the curveball, it just has one of those things where it's going to stop in midair and say, oh, psych, and go down at your back feet. I mean, he was getting some ugly swings uh, on some things and just locking a couple of guys up. So it was, when you watch that, it's, you're like, how's the guy doing this? Oh, yeah, that's how he's doing it. Because I watched, I was also curious about Eddie Butler, and Eddie Butler, um, you know, he had his prospects that this is a guy that was a top 10 prospect himself. People are like, okay, the Cubs are going to get him. Let's see how they change him. And for me yesterday, he was just elevating the ball too much. The, the Rockies tried to turn him into a sinker ball pitcher. And then the Cubs were like, no, 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 we want you to go back and work high, low, high, low. And uh, he just wasn't getting it high enough yesterday. And the Rockies didn't make him pay uh, for that when he missed, uh, when he didn't get it up enough in the zone. But with, with Hoffman, it's it's tough. Go watch that start yesterday and, and look at the quality of his stuff. It is tough not to be impressed with it yeah 33 percent strikeout rate so far in 27 innings so hoffman will be a big ticket item this week on waiver wires i want to talk jordan montgomery as well ian i mentioned you are a yankees fan so i want to get your perspective on this young kid i've been really really impressed with this stuff i almost think that uh he's almost underperforming compared to his stuff Mm -hmm. and I, i i think he can be even better in the summer as he really starts to settle in uh what are you seeing out of jordan montgomery and are we going to have an innings limit for the young lefty? He's that, 24 I, years old. I'll tell you this. The, one of the, my great regrets from the Gotham League was I put in as my last reserve round pick, I put in Jordan Montgomery. And Yahoo didn't even have him in the darn uh, in the thing. Oh, and I, oh so, so I said to Steve, I was like, I, I, I really want Jordan Montgomery. He's like, he's not in there. you got to pick somebody else. you got to wait till he goes into the system. And then by that time, I had put him through. And then when I put my bid on him, I forget who grabbed him. Maybe it was Nando. He came up short. Oh, I came my up gosh. short. And, I, and the reason was I watched him in spring training. And I saw that he was, he was peaking at 95. And I thought, all right, here's a lefty. Here's a big lefty who hides the ball well. And has has great command, 
and he's getting up to 95 and he's make I'm always watching the hitters, right? When the hitters look frustrated and a little bit confused, those are the pitchers that you want. And no doubt. And he he was confusing people and blowing them away and he had that same sort of mindset again. It was like he was not going to be bothered. So I went out and I I drafted him or purchased him everywhere that I could and he's been he's been great but I agree with you I think that I I called my friend who went to his first game right because he didn't start till he wasn't they they didn't need a starter they didn't need a fifth starter, fifth starter for a while they didn't yeah. need a fifth starter for a while so then there was some talk is it going to be Jordan Montgomery is it going to be Chad Green who's who's it going to be and um it ended up my buddy went to the game and I, I wrote to my text him I said you're watching the new Andy Pettit you're watching the next Andy Pettit's first start in Yankee Stadium, and then he actually it. he actually didn't have that great of a start. So I got a text back and said, "I hope not," because that. That's but he not... had a lot of swings and misses. That well, I was actually encouraged by that start yeah, against Tampa Bay. Exactly, he had lots of whiffs and seven strikeouts, and so uh, I took a little bit more from that than you normally would from a four and two thirds innings outing from. But he Jordan gave up Montgomery. four runs. I think it was four runs that he gave up that game. Three. Three. It was only he got a three-two okay. earned. It was a, there was a home run. I forget who who got it off him. Somebody yacked him uh, and it derailed him because he was on a bit of a pitch count. So he came out at four and two thirds. But I was watching that game, and as like Paul said, the swings and misses, it was impressive. Now, if anybody's listening to this show, we talk about any left-handed starter, just go ahead and put him up there against Tampa Bay because they struggle against him. That's true. And, but he was getting, and he was really the first guy of the season because if you'll recall, that offense got really hot to start the season. And then Jordan Montgomery came in and just really held him down. Again, I mean, there were seven base runners, five hits, but after watching that game, I was surprised to see that line score because he looked mm-hmm. really good uh, against that. And that we talked about him right after um, the episode, right after that game, and then he went on a uh, went on a nice run of pitching. Uh, really, he's only had only two bad starts: bad. the Houston game I mean, and then and the game against KC. Kansas City. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah the, the the KC game was really. The only one that I would really tab as bad, because even if you look at the Houston start, it was six innings, four runs, but seven strikeouts, one walk, a three-inning, or excuse me, a three-run inning there. You, you kind of chalk it up to one bad inning. I think Jordan McDonough. That's and that's what he runs into. He runs into bad one, innings. He runs into one yep. home run. He just runs into a home run. And, and the look on his face when it happens, it's great. You know, I, I always tease about David Robertson, right, who to me, I mean, he's great, and he's got great skills, and he's got a great arm. But when he finally saves a game, if you ever watch him, he takes the deepest breath out. Like, he's like, I made it. I tricked him again. Did it. We always said like 91-92, so he's like, ah, I made it. Yeah, got away with it. Um, And (laughs) so I'm like, just sell David Robertson wherever you can in any dynasty league that you got. But Montgomery, when he gives up that home run, it's just like, all right. All right, you got me there. I'm going to get you next time, and and he's got the stuff to back it up. I I I'm a huge fan of Jordan Montgomery. Yeah, I'm I'm really in on him now. He did have let's see, he threw a hundred and about 140 innings last year, so he shouldn't be too tightly uh, leashed there. He's got 63 innings right now. They could probably push him a bit. Now, the thing of it is, when you have these young guys who could face innings limits is if the team is headed to the postseason, of course, right now the Yankees look like they're fast-tracking, the innings allotment has to account for some postseason because they're not going to have October success without Jordan Montgomery. At least I don't think so uh, because he's just been been tremendous for them. So 
redraft. He reminded league, me a little guys... bit of Jimmy Key. He reminded me. Of, that's oh, another he, good name. He, God, that's I love really good Jimmy name. Key. But he had. <laughs> he's like about. Jimmy Key, but he's got. He's got a little bit more velocity. He's got. He's got more speed. I mean, he's bringing. Well, well yeah, like, Jimmy Key for this era, because back in Jimmy Key's era, you didn't have to have the blow him away velocity. Today, you, it's a it's a higher barrier to entry velocity wise. So I agree with that comp. Just accounting for today's velocity. Is he a healthy Brett Anderson? Ooh. I mean, that's such. A, that's like a, that, that's like a Yeti or a, a Bigfoot or Loch Ness monster. Yeah, okay, right. Healthy Brett Anderson. Yeah. Just, that's not really a thing, but I guess we can compare it to a fake thing. That's fine if you want to do that. Uh, but yeah, I guess we're all in on Jordan Montgomery. But I will ask, guys, redraft league. Do you consider selling at this peak here with pitching being so scarce, and try to get a mint for him, and just not deal with any potential headache? in September uh, as we're coming up against innings? Or do you just ride it out because you paid so little? For, even if you got them on waivers uh, and paid fab, it still wasn't a huge resource cost. Do you just ride it out with Jordan Montgomery, or do you try to trade him? Jason, I'll ask you first. I'll ride it out with him. I mean, when you look at what he's where, where he's pitching at and the fact that the league-wide ERA this year is 437 for starting pitching, mm-hmm. and he is at 355, and you look at the supporting skills around him, and there's nothing that says this is an outlier. You know, everything else lines up. Even hell, even his ERA and his FIP are within two hundredths of a point of one another. Everything here looks sustainable. I'm just surprised he only has four wins out of eleven no. starts, given the run support that that team has given him, uh, exactly. or that they tend to produce. So yeah, if you're looking for a guy that could give you eight to ten wins the rest of the way, he should be able to fall into those. Ian, what do you think? You, you going to trade Jordan Montgomery or just ride it out in a redraft? I actually think you, your best bet is to ride it out because his perceived value isn't actually as high as his true value is at this point. That's a good point. Partially, too. partially because of his bad luck with a with a with the uh, with his record. You know, we talked about beyond beyond Johnny being Johnny yesterday, and we were talking Biagini. about. We were talking about his bad luck and how that that accounts for the fact that even though his skills are are amazing right now, you say almost the same thing with Jordan Montgomery. I mean, if he had a little bit of luck, he he could be looking at a at a seven and three record, and then all of a sudden you wouldn't. But you're not going to get the value for him. He's not high enough on the player radar. And uh, yeah, no, I would hold and enjoy. I think that's fair. I think that's completely fair. So unless you're trading with one of the three of us who just gushed over Jordan Montgomery, just write it out because uh, you, you just didn't pay that much, and he's been fantastic. We will talk Joe Biagini here in just a moment, but I want to talk about Buck Farmer out in Detroit. He's put together a couple good starts. He's been a prospect for, for the Tigers, but that, that does have like a little bit of a caveat because they don't really usually have a great farm system. So even being a top-five prospect in their system doesn't always mean the same as it does uh, on a lot of other teams. He's never been a top 100 guy, but a live arm uh, was starting to look like maybe it's the bullpen for him. But the 26-year-old Buck Farmer does have two really good starts, including his last time out uh, looking really sharp, I believe, against the Angels. Yeah, six and two-thirds scoreless, five strikeouts, one walk. He had 11 strikeouts and six and a third scoreless against the uh, White Sox. Jason, I'll start with you on Buck Farmer. Is this somebody you're picking up in mixed leagues? And if so, uh, how many teams? You know, I tried to get him in my in my uh, eleven team AL home league last night, and somebody dropped fifteen bucks, and that's a hundred dollar fab budget. So somebody was rather aggressive in picking him up last night. I think I had a seven or eight dollar bid in on him uh, last night, so I, I lost that on there. But if you look at 
when you look at what he's been able to do over the course of between the majors and the minors, over 12 starts, he's getting a strikeout per inning. He's not walking guys, not giving up home runs. There's a lot to like here. Definitely looking at him in a 15 team mixed. Uh, I may even, I think he's a contingent bid for me tonight at NFBC in the 12 team online. Ian, Buck Farmer's a guy that uh, in a dynasty league you would just kind of have toward the back end of your roster and you maybe just hang on to because you don't have to get rid of guys uh, in, in dynasty league formats. Are you seeing some extra stuff out of Buck Farmer here that makes him more intriguing or is he still kind of that uh, that back end guy? You know, he, he, he sort of peaked at like the top 200. You know, he got, mm-hmm. he got about two around 180 210 somewhere in that area as a prospect and like you said he you know he's in the tiger system so he looked like he was the number two prospect in the in the tiger system but it was the dimbrowski you know tiger system um so that'll that'll tell you but but you know it's amazing what he's done i mean 11 strikeouts at at chicago is no joke falls that up with um five strikeouts six and two-thirds like you said but there was something about that that start that concerns me a little bit um, he threw 100 pitches, and 57 of them were strikes. That's not oh. good. No, that's not a great so strike it's, percentage it's, at all. So it's not, you know, he only walked one guy. But it means that he got behind in a lot of counts. Now he, he's showing some advanced stuff. Uh, he's definitely worth rostering in a 15-team league. Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit more quizzical about 12-team, but maybe maybe he's showing it. I mean, look, .69 whip is is nothing to sneeze at. 16 strikeouts in 12 and you know 13 innings is is super impressive. And as we discussed yesterday, in that rotation, only Verlander is guaranteed anything at this point. Correct. So he he very well might stick it out. I just I I say yeah, sure, grab him, get him. I wouldn't spend 15 necessarily on him, um, but. There, but he's he's worth rostering for sure. But that there is that one concern that I have. He strikes me as somebody, and, and we talked about this yesterday about uh, the, the idea that a guy should be owned in your league, but not necessarily on your team. Mm-hmm. So you know, I could see a situation. I can see multiple situations where Buck Farmer needs to be on a fifteen-team league because of the way pitching's been ravaged. But that doesn't mean that you, the listener, it, that's automatically your team. Your team might be set, and you don't have to go cut somebody for Buck Farmer. You know, he, he throws ninety-one from the uh, from the right side. That's not super impressive. He has been getting the swings and misses, um, and and he was getting ahead in that first outing. Uh, but you mentioned the the point about fifty-seven strikes and a hundred pitches. You want to see that strike percentage a bit higher. So I, I certainly don't think we're in the clear and Buck Farmer's all of a sudden this beast. But again, uh, the way pitching's been, I think you need to take a look at him in a lot of formats. See, that's, what I feel, that's what I feel about Kevin Gossman. He needs to be owned, but not on my team. Well, I just don't want him anywhere near. <laughs> and you were his biggest right fan now. coming that's, into the season. Exactly. I mean, the, listen, I was his biggest fan when, it was, when there was things to you know kind of cling to and say, hey, George, Kevin Gossman's got this, that, and the other. Look at this. Everything this year looks like a nightmare, and I don't know what the hell's going on with him. Uh, it's been crazy. One positive about having to re-record is that the outlook on our next guy here, Jacob Faria, has completely changed, and so we can now assess it with the uh, with with this outlook. Unfortunately, it was it was a, a negative thing that had to happen. Matt Andrees came back and immediately got hurt again, which will likely open the door for Faria to come back. He had a great debut start. Goes right back down because Andres was coming off the DL. Looks like he's headed right back on. Ian, how do you feel about Jacob Faria 
prospect out of Tampa Bay. In some ways, I, I, I prefer him to, to Buck Farmer because he's – I like Tampa Bay pitchers. You kind of know what you're going to get with them. Um, mm-hmm. And he he does have you know, he he had great success again against the White Sox. Everybody seems to be doing great against the White Sox. White Sox getting beat up lately, and they got, they got off to a good start, but lately they've just been the punching bag. Yeah. Although I will say that when Renteria pulled his team together, they were down six, I think six nothing. Yes. The other night they were. And he like he pulls them <laughs> together and them. just it was like Bill Belichick or or Bill Parcells really is what it was like. And to see the fire get started under those guys, it, it was. It was really, it was really impressive. That was that was fun to watch, um, but Jacob Faria, I think, is definitely worth owning in certainly in a fifteen team league, and depending on what he does moving forward, even in a twelve team. Um, but you know, Jason knows that's his uh, that's his. Squad. Yeah, Jason, let, uh, I, I want to let Ian go first, and then set you up as the the resident Ray guy here. We have talked about Faria in the past between the De Leon, Faria, Honeywell trio. I thought Faria might come up first. De Leon did get first crack, but now it's Faria, and he looks like he's going to get more of an extended shot. You mentioned this yesterday, so I'll just go ahead and set you up with it. You said he looks a lot like Andres. So can he come up and be just kind of a, an Andres clone while he's replacing Andres? It, it, honestly, it's what he reminds me of. Similar build. The only thing that's different is there's not the crossfire. You know, Andres has got that bit of a crossfire, but Faria is, is more straight up over the top. But it, it, like Ian said, you know what you're going to get. Fastball's high, breaking pitches out to the side, change-ups down. I happen to catch, I've, I've seen, I watched his de- MLB debut and it was impressive, but I had been at his start and uh, he pitched against Charlotte. So I went and watched the game with my uh, with my brother and it was his worst outing of the season. That Charlotte lineup is, is not loaded by any means, but they were not struggling to hit him. And, you know, he, they chased him after five innings. They had, he had 10 base runners, lots of hard contact not just bloops and dunks it was hard contact and it was his worst outing of the season but he's rebounded from that six innings a shutout ball against Gwinnett then he had a four uh, a four inning outing with seven strikeouts uh and two runs against Pawtucket then he went seven shutout innings against the Rochester Red Wings and then he had a start against the White Sox the other day so he's I just happened to catch him live on his worst night of the year, but everything else has been really good for him. Uh, so I think he can come and pick up right where uh, Andres left off. This time, I think Andres will stay on the disabled list a little bit longer if he's going to come out for like that. They haven't they haven't made the move. The, the only thing they did is they they sent down Ryan Stanek uh, to bring back to bring uh, Faria back up. So maybe Andres doesn't oh, go okay. on the disabled this time. But Stanek needed to happen. I don't care if you could throw a hundred. I mean, he's been in that Jesus Colome mode where. I'm going to throw 100 and see who can hit it. And everybody's like, fine, I'm going to hit, hit it out of the yard. Healy got him last night. Pinder got him last night. So, And he's been doing that a lot lately. So I still have high hopes for uh, Stanek, but he's got to come up with a more reliable second pitch and just can't sit back on that fastball. No, because they, yeah, any major league hitter can hit velocity. We, we, we've seen that throughout throughout time, really, and so it's not surprising. But Jacob Faria, definitely somebody you want to take a look at. I do think, again, 12-team, it's it's certainly borderline, but if you've been one of those teams ravaged by pitching uh, injuries, he might be someone that you look to if some of these other names we've been mentioning aren't available. Uh, we'll finish on this in terms of, uh, of these interesting starters, then we'll go to some two-star battles. Joe Biagini out in Toronto has been really interesting to me. He came out of the bullpen and has really basically just matched what he did in the bullpen as a starter, which usually you see some some uh, degradation in skills. You know, the strikeout rate usually goes down a bit. Maybe the walk rate goes up. He's really just kind of emulated what he's been as a reliever. 
in the starting rotation for Toronto. 27-year-old, never. I don't think he was ever really anything but uh, but a deep prospect. Somebody that you, if you got like the Baseball America Handbook or you're reading the deep lists uh, that Air Log and Hang and Do does for us, uh, stuff like that. You might have seen some Joe Biagini mentioned, but for the most part, definitely not a guy that was on prospect lists. Ian. I really like what I've been seeing out of Joe Biagini. We talked about how he's one in five, and he deserves a much better fate, only further uh, muddying the waters on how annoying the win-loss record can be. Is this somebody that that you're tracking for the rest of the year or somebody that you'd like, Joe Biagini? This is someone who I like a tremendous amount. And as I said yesterday, not only is the, the record deceiving one in five with a 3.38 ERA and a 1.02 whip, but the, the, the thing that I look to is the hard-hit ball list that came out i think it was on fan graphs this past week and B- biagini was uh, what did we say yesterday he's number i think three, he was fourth? Yeah, third behind keichel and Irvin santana right uh and, and well actually and montgomery was very high on that list as well i think montgomery was fourth and biagini was third when you when you put the appropriate uh innings thresholds to get be a genie in there with yes. his 56 So that, that means that these are pitchers who are making hitters not be able to do their job well enough. They're and fooling them. They're fooling them. They're beating them. They're beating them. And a one in five record suggests that they're not beating anybody, but they are. And, you know, the Blue Jays lineup is certainly coming back together with Donaldson's return. And hopefully Tulowitzki starts doing something eventually at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're going to see that record rise. And I think that the, the Blue Jays have themselves a, a solid starter. And I think he's definitely... Um, no question owned in a 15 team. And I say no question owned in a 12 team as well. I agree. I think full on 12 team for Joe Biagini. By the way, that list is Keiko, Alex Wood, Irvin Santana, Joe Biagini, and Jordan Montgomery. So two of the guys that we've been talking about here are in the top five of the lowest hard contact uh, allowed. And again, I really do like that as a measure to look at. It's not an end all be all, but when you pair it with other things, including a 59% ground ball rate for Biagini, Jason, yep. I think you start looking at him maybe even in some 10-teamers, at least as a streamer in 10-teamers. I really like Joe Biagini. It's another, guy, it's another guy that I that you really have to see to, to see why do why are we talking about him. And when you watch him That's pitch, a great call. Watch a start to, yep. to get watch, the feel for him. Really, have, And one of the things, you look at the record and the run support, You know, part of it, he's had some bullpen issues. But if you look at, you have to remember, he's being transitioned out of the bullpen within a season. You see a lot of these guys will do it you know, during the offseason. And they're having him do that. So you look at his pitch counts in his last three games, 98, 195. And then before that, 77, 67, 68, 52, 41. So they're, they're getting him to that point. So that's part of the problem why he hasn't been able to get wins is because he hasn't been able to stay in the game long enough for that. I mean, you have to be extremely efficient with your pitches to get a win on, on out, of, out of 65, 70 pitches. So his last three starts, Sorry. he's been able to get deeper in the games. And unfortunately, he's 0-3 in those last three starts despite that, uh, despite that fact. So uh, again, watch him pitch, see the quality of stuff. You look at the the... the the pitch values on his stuff and he's got four pitches that are above average by by pitch value and That's that great. really should get your attention to see sometimes you'll see two guys but he has four right now that have positive values and uh you know you know we'll talk about that same thing too you see you see a guy with three four pitches like that you should be paying attention Keep an eye on Joe Biagini, y'all, for sure. Let's talk some two-start battles. We're going to just pit some guys against each other. Just kind of another way to talk about some some interesting pitchers, really. But all of them have two starts next week, or at least are slated to do so. And we'll start with Jimmy Nelson against CeCe Sabathia. Um, really 
I'm really intrigued by what Jimmy Nelson's been doing. Sabathia getting himself back together as well after after kind of coming back to earth or, or coming back to the the forefront last year. Uh, speaking of, you know, that's somebody he's been saying, hey, keep an eye, keep an eye, keep an eye. Jimmy Nelson made some changes this year. He's been good. Jason, I'll start with you. Jimmy Nelson or CC Sabathia in a two start week? Who do you prefer? Um, Jimmy Nelson has those matchups. I know he's got St. Louis in game one of a doubleheader. Oh, yeah. um, I forgot to give the matchup. Sorry I about that. Think, I, I will give the matchups on the other. I think one. he's got my. I forgot who the other one is. But the match of the St. Louis one doubleheader, the doubleheader thing, you have to figure it's going to be a it's going to be a reduced Cardinals lineup, which will be even better uh, because he's that Cardinals lineup's already not doing too well offensively, and now you get Jimmy Nelson facing him. So, and I like Sabathia. I like what he's doing. We talked about what Montgomery was doing, but that's exactly the Sabathia has been doing the same type of thing uh, to hitters, and he's getting that run support and getting those wins. I don't think you can go wrong either way. Um, but I'm gonna, I'm leaning Nelson here like one of those six out of ten time choices. Jimmy Nelson at St. Louis, home to San Diego. You love the San Diego yeah. starting. Like oh, I'm sorry, said, make that seven uh, out of ten. Then. <laughs> a, 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 yeah. a trip to St. Louis is just not as scary as it used to be either right now because they're not clicking. CC goes to the Angels and to Oakland. Something we mentioned yesterday. Uh, you know, going back out to his, his home area. Uh, Ian, you saw that that could maybe be a detriment, though. Maybe he gets a little bit too comfortable out there yeah. hanging with friends and family. Uh, <laughs> so are you picking Nelson as well? You know, I yesterday I picked Nelson, and I'm still – I'm really 50-50. Because one thing I want to say about Sabathia, and we talked about this, was that, you know, I was hot on him last year. I bet my, my dear friend, Rabbi Ari Sunshine, who is another great dynasty owner. What a name, one Right, Rabbi Ari Sunshine. I mean, that's for real. And I bet him, I said, CC's going to be a top 40 starter, and this was last year. And I lost that bet, but it, it was closer than I think he expected it to be. And that's the thing. Yeah. Your, your, your point was like, keep an eye on him, and you were technically right there even though you lost the bet. And I, you were a year early, which makes you a perfect fit for this podcast. I'm ha- <laughs> happy, to be, happy to join the crew that way. Um, but then watching CC this year, there's, there's something else that's going on, right? Again, going to the psychological side of the game, he, he's been through some challenging times recently. Uh, he was dealing with alcoholism. He, he dealt with all this stuff. And this year, if you look at him, it's, a, it's the baby bombers. It really is. You know, these are kids. And CeCe is, in some ways, the big daddy of this squad. And you, Dad, can, yep. you can see that when he's you can see that when he's in the dugout watching games. And you can see that when he goes out on the mound. It's like, you know what? I, you know, yeah, Severino is amazing. Montgomery's great. All these guys are, are Tanaka's not, but uh, Sabathia has been good. You know, he is coming to the, he's coming on that mound. I, I watched him the other night, and he got through the first inning. And somebody hit had a hard hit ball. I think it was the left field. It was just a line drive, and just the look on his face. He was kind of disgusted with himself. It was still enough, but he was like, "That's not happening again." And then you know, you look at you look at what he brought to the table, and you know, eight innings against Boston. Five hits, zero walks, five strikeouts with the wins. Got five wins in his last seven and two. Uh, I I, got to say, you know, yeah, Jimmy Nelson is showing it, and he's got the pedigree. But I look at players who were once the best. And CeCe, there was a time where CeCe was a top five starter in this game. And for him to find that again later in his career, it is not something that would surprise me. His matchups at the Angels and the A's are, are couldn't be much better. Um, so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna shift. Yesterday I was fifty fifty. I took Nelson after after thinking about it overnight. I'm gonna go fifty fifty, and I'm gonna go with CC. And he's all, and, and he also Jason uses made... Thundercats luggage when he's at the airport. I ran into him at the uh, Logan Airport a That's few weeks hilarious. ago, and he's dressed he's dressed in like the most uh, generic sweatshirt, like a red sweatshirt and sweatpants, and 
I mean, when you see a guy of that size, it should like ring a bell. Like, hmm, that guy's an athlete. And I, I knew right away, and he's just standing there at a, at a gate for a flight to LaGuardia. And nobody else is, like, paying him any attention whatsoever. And there were, like, kids circle around, people wearing Yankee hats, nobody bothering him. And I happened to look down, and he's got Thundercats logos on his luggage. And I was like, props. I, I like that. That's amazing. <laughs> That's really great. Um, I, I think Jason's point was apt that we really like both guys here. And while I pitted them against each other, there's no reason that you can't use both if they, if they are available. Now, they're not going to be available in, in, in deeper leagues, but shallower leagues, you might be able to find both or at least one on the wire. I'll break the tie, and I will, I will lean Nelson, but I'm, I'm just as torn as you, you two are. Um, the San Diego one really tips it for me for Nelson, the San Diego start at home. He could really cut them up. But again, got to give love to both guys. CC is somebody that you could actually use, uh, again, for a second straight year. Last year, he was, he was pretty usable in a lot of leagues with the way the offense is rising. You can't really turn your nose up at a 366 ERA and a 126 whip these days. Uh, I think some people are slow to adjust at that. I, I've I've heard some things on on you know in articles, different radio shows, podcasts where uh, an upper threes ERA is like sloughed off. If I've got a guy with a 375 or better. I'm paying attention. So both these guys are, are, are worth taking a look at. Yeah, Let's there's a Paul. I was going to say, oh. there's, only, there's only nine teams in the league whose starting rotation is an ERA below four. That, that's crazy. <laughs> and you mentioned the, 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 the average earlier, something like 446 or something. 437. You got you to gotta adjust down. We're, we're back in a different era where um, you see something on the wire and it's low fours. That's somebody you look at. I remember we went through a few years where you know you see on the wire you're like this guy has a 388 and he'd be on the wire. There were guys with upper threes ERAs just floating on the wire. Not anymore. Anybody with like a 420 and below needs to be looked at because if you got a 420, then you're in shouting distance of a 375, which is what we're kind of looking for, uh, you know, to make the grade in mixed leagues. Next one is Mike Fultonevich. Let me get his starts here. Uh, again, versus Joe Ross. Those are the two guys that we're talking about here. Fulte is actually headed out uh, to Washington and then home to Miami. Uh, so kind of a split choice there. And then Joe Ross gets Atlanta at home and then goes out to the Mets in, in City Field. So, uh, Jason, I'll start with you on this one. Mike Fultonevich versus Joe Ross. Who do you like best? Uh, I like Joe Ross here. Um, I I've never really been the Fultonevich corner. I still think ultimately he's a reliever, and I know I've been kind of the minority about that, but it's just, you know, getting back to the Ryan Stanek issue, here's a lot of fastballs, and I, I think I always expect more of Fultonevich given what, what I see of the quality of his fastball. Uh, but with Joe Ross, I agree you know, with you on that. Joe Ross, you, you got Even the, though I've been a fan. Yeah, you have been a bigger fan. I think Eno has too. Uh, you know, with Joe Ross, you, you have all the run support as long as the Nationals aren't facing Andrew Kashner for whatever reason. Um, and, <laughs> uh, and he's, you know, he's getting, getting the strikeouts and, uh, it, you know, it's only been seven starts, but you look at everything else. He again, not walking. The home runs have been a problem. Obviously, that's gonna that's gonna hurt, and that's why his ERA is the way it is. But as with Mike Fires, we talked about Mike Fires last week, and we I think we had Mike Fires in our deep deep two start league, and I said pick up Mike Fires yes. because it he said can't he was the only get, one to go yeah, for. He can't get any worse than this. He is absolutely rock bottom. Mike Fires went out and won both games this week. So it, yeah, you can't you, go ahead. At a certain point, a home run rate gets so high. The, the indicator is okay. If the team is still using him, then you can you can safely assume he's not majorly hurt. He could be hiding something, right? We don't we don't know that. But if they thought he was hurt, they wouldn't keep running him out there. 
and they have some sort of trust in this stuff. This is Mike Fires I'm talking about. So when you're looking at a 4.0 homer per nine on like a 9,000% homer to fly ball rate, if they're going to keep running them out there, it can't get worse. So we said, just take your shot. Like if that's, if that's your deep Hail Mary shot, he can't get any worse. And he hasn't. He's been really good of late. So that was a great call by you. I know you were propping him up even more than I was with that pick. Joe Ross is at 2.1 right now with a 21% homer to fly ball rate. And yet everything else looks really good. 25% strikeout rate, 4% walk rate. I don't think that that home run rate gets any worse. I think it gets better, and it starts really chiseling down that 6.16 ERA for Joe Ross. So even though I've been a full T backer, I'm actually going to take Joe Ross as well. Ian, how do you feel about this uh, this duo here? I'm going to take Fulty. Um, and my reasoning behind that is one, you know, he he does he he's got he does have great stuff. And one thing that it was always a problem with him over the course of the last few years was command. And you're looking at his little his last two starts, seven innings, two walks. Um, 10 strikeouts versus at, at Cincinnati, and then only four strikeouts versus versus Philly. But he was somebody who I've been trying to pick up um, in a 12-team league uh, pretty regularly, and then he got dropped again, so I just did get him back. And I'm, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. sort of excited to see what he brings to the table. He's got his whip under control with a 1.28, um, and I do think the upside is there. I, I, I prefer Joe Ross's... Um, matchups this week because he doesn't have to face his own team uh (laughs) exactly that's good uh and obviously what he did against baltimore but i i'm also looking at the struggles that he had just a couple weeks ago at oakland giving up seven runs and then versus san diego giving up 12 hits in four innings because that's the thing that was crazy Mm -hmm. that's what i'm looking at i mean i'm looking at the 40 he's not walking anybody but he's given 48 hits in 38 innings so you know he it's not for me it's not just the home run rate it's also that he's letting people are seeing the ball well against him now he came back strong certainly against baltimore and he could so it's not a it's not a no joe ross and you know he's not to be owned he is to be owned and he's he's a solid pickup but if i had to choose between the two i'm leaning fulty I think, I think that's completely fair. And again, I put these guys together because they're close. So I don't think any of us have, you know, resounding choices on these. And if there are multiple ones available in your league, you can pick up even the guy that, uh, that we go against here. But uh, yeah, I've been, a, like I said, Fulty backer, not fully out on him, but I do like Joe Ross to get better for sure. Last one, guys, Jarrell Cotton versus Jared Eikhoff. Uh, both came in with some hype this year, Jarrell Cotton. I was absolutely on that train, and I'm I'm not quitting him long term. This is a situation where you know uh, we've been talking a lot about dynasty leagues. I would still be acquiring Jarrell Cotton in dynasty leagues. However, for redraft, I'm a little bit more touch and go. Ian, I'll, I will start with you here on these two guys, Jarrell Cotton versus Jared Eikhoff. I got uh, Jarrell Cotton is facing Miami at Miami yeah. and home to the Yankees against CC, and then. Um, Eikhoff has at Boston and home to Arizona. I mean, so he's just, got a tough match. Just neither ever. Like, don't. Like, just don't. Like, grab <laughs> a middle. Grab, grab a middle reliever. Grab. Get yourself a really strong middle reliever with, with great. Uh, I, that's what I would say. But if we have to pick one, I'm going to go with Cotton. I don't want any part of Eikhoff. I don't want any part of that Red Sox lineup. Nope. Um, or the Arizona one, right? right? Or the Arizona one. I don't want any part of Goldschmidt. Uh, you know, Cotton at Miami. He, who knows? Maybe Stanton's out longer with the, with the. I don't know if he's in the lineup today after getting hit yesterday. He might be available to pinch hit, but they expect him back Tuesday after getting hit in the wrist. Um, X rays were negative. Ugly man. That was. It was very ugly, and anything. And, 
something always seems to happen to him. So when you saw it, it was yeah. it was freak out. But right now, it looks at least moderately positive. We'll see if he gets a pinch hit appearance today, Stanton. But going to Miami, this has got to be a good setup for Cotton. This is one of the ones you cannot waste. If he wastes this start, yeah. you really got to consider just you know putting him off to the side for quite a yeah, while. So for me, it would be it would definitely be Cotton uh, ahead of Ikoff. Okay, Jason, same Same, yeah, if I'm absolutely, I would rather take neither guy, but if I'm absolutely hurting and I I don't want to take the risk of picking up a middle reliever that may only pitch once uh, in the week, maybe twice, and I'm trying to get some strikeouts, I'll go with Cotton in this. Just the Miami matchup alone is where I have to go. You know, Eikhoff, you mentioned Goldschmidt. I mean, Rake Lamb just murders right-handed pitching. Uh, You don't want anything to do with that, so... Brandon yeah. Drury. I mean, there, there's a lot of good guys in that lineup uh, uh, along with Goldschmidt. Grab so. Pat Neshek, thinking that he might steal some saves. That's what I would do. He, it's looking like uh, it's looking like he's going to get some closing opportunities out there in Philly. Of course, they have to have leads for him to save. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, Hector Neris' splitter has not been splitting as much, and so it's been problematic. But uh, So we're uh, as a group, we're leaning Nelson, but but Ian picked CeCe. Uh, we're leaning Joe Ross, but, but Ian picked Fulton. Ian, Ian, you're going against us. But then we swept Cotton. So we did have one clean sweep, and it, and it was Cotton. There's your six uh, two-start guys this week that you can take a look at. Let's talk some of these first-base late bloomers. And, and Ian, after the, the debacle that was yesterday, we were all texting, hey, man, that sucked. And then, but then we started talking some baseball, anything you want to discuss. And you said, you know what, I'd like to kind of get, get in on some of these uh, late bloomers here because we've seen so many. Ryan Zimmerman's been arguably the NL MVP to this point. Justin Bohr's chasing him down as a potential NL MVP candidate the way he's been playing before going on the DL. Justin Smoke, Mark Reynolds, Logan Morrison, Yonder Alonso. It's been the first base renaissance, and it's particularly interesting because we came into the season thinking, or I did at least, and I think a lot of other folks did, first base had a little bit of uh, shallowness to it. When Once you started getting past the first, the first right, six reliables six or yep. so, it was like, I don't know what I'm going to do here. And now we're flush at the position again. And the power boom has definitely hit first base. Ian, what are your thoughts? Obviously, individual cases matter. But what's your thought on the on the renaissance of these first basemen uh, as a whole? So last night I'm watching I'm, I'm watching Chris Sale. I'm a Yankee fan, and I'm rooting desperately for the Red Sox <laughs> to score in the bottom of the seventh so that I can get the win and get cl- a little bit closer to Cushing and DL1 and, you know, Sale, Sale, Sale. I have them in a couple of different spots. And I'm watching Mitch Moreland, and it's first and third, and Moreland takes a uh, fastball in the outside corner and just rips an opposite field line drive to left field that now if Upton wasn't scared of the monster he he might have made the play but it still was a really well hard hit ball and I thought mm-hmm. to myself I went you know Mitch Moreland this guy has been picked up and dropped everywhere and now look at the kind of I mean he struggled a little bit recently but look at what he did in April and early May I mean he really came along and then I went wait a minute and Yonder Alonso is that same guy and Justin Smoke is that same guy and Logan Morrison is that same guy and I this was I was also still licking my wounds from yesterday, thinking you know because we our our podcast was 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 gone in the wind, and I said, "Wait a second, these first basemen all have something in common. It is what we've always thought about catchers, where we say if a catcher is good, it's going to take him some time because he's got to learn the position right so certainly. we're really not going to see his full value till his certainly his late twenties, even early thirties that's when they're going to finally come into their own like that's a, it's an understood thing in dynasty leagues it's like you can grab yourself a young catcher, but you're going to have to wait on him a little bit. Well, what I realized was I was like the same thing is going on with these first basemen. It takes time and it takes time to feel confident and comfortable in your skin on the field, and once you get into that 
place. So I went and I looked this morning at the uh, top 100 from 2009. We discussed this briefly, but Logan Morrison was number 18. was the number 18 mm-hmm. prospect in baseball. Justin Smoke was the number 23 prospect in baseball. Yonder Alonso was 35. Cameron Mabin was number Holy Anybody God. remember who yeah, number one Cameron was that Mab- year? Matt Weeders. Yeah, that was correct. Matt Weeders. <laughs> yeah, Matt, wow. Matt Weeders. I remember... You guys remember Matt Weeder's? Oh yeah, facts? those were fun. It was like they? the Chuck Norris <laughs> thing, and it was kind. Of, it's basically to think about it now. Uh, for those that don't remember that, it was the most interesting man in the world, the Dosakis thing, where it's like this guy is so incredible that you know wh- wh- whatever they say, I can't think of one right now because I'm I'm really yeah, like Matt Weeder's. Matt Weeder's gets Chick Fil A on Sundays. Exactly, his his base hits cure cancer, that sort of stuff. Like <laughs> that's how hyped he was when he was coming up. He was supposed to be the everything catcher, and he just hasn't really panned out. Now you, you did say it takes a while on catchers. Maybe he maybe he'll. Let's not forget, out, he has just no motor point. behind that guy. He just doesn't there have the motor. He just doesn't care. I mean, he does not have the want. He does not. He just doesn't. It's clear. It's like he. This guy does not want to be the best. He he was the top prospect in baseball, and he was never going to be in the conversation. For it was just weird. Amazing in college. Three in, in college in three seasons in college. Three fifty nine with a ten seventy one OPS, and the minors three forty two with a ten ten OPS, and as a major leaguer two fifty seven with a seven thirty eight. And never really a flourish of excellence. Like, we just no. really haven't seen it. And so I know some people uh, bristle at the idea of, of saying a guy doesn't really have the drive or whatever. But you look at this now. We have a long amount of time with Matt Wieters, and he's never really jumped to that that next level. And I know injuries have gotten him sometimes, but, yeah, but it just hasn't come through. And he's 31 years old now. I just don't see it ever happen. And you talk about want, right? You talk about want. So another guy on this list that struck my eye was, was Aaron Hicks. He was number thirty-nine. Oh, I love Aaron Hicks, and he was a kid. He was a he was a baby, right? Because now he's still he's still not he's not an old player. Still, it's tw- like twenty-seven. Yeah, he's but he was like the nineteen-year-old. He was the the Victor Robles of you know what he was sort of like Victor Robles, Cameron Maven, yep. Victor Robles. It takes time for these guys to show up. So you know, I was looking at Morris and Smoke, Alonzo, even Freddie Freeman. You know, there was a time there where we we're like, you know, Freeman's not going to be what we think he is. Two, three years. Peak ago. James Loney. Everyone thought he was going right. to peak, peak. Just peak James Loney, these- but but for a long. Longer. All of these guys are, are James Loney, James Loney, James Loney. It makes you think twice about Dominic Smith. It makes you think twice about Bobby Bradley. It makes you t- think twice about these first base prospects, Dan Vogelbach even, who, who are struggling and are struggling to get to that next level. It takes time. So, you know, I mean, how can you argue? Logan Morrison has been picked up and dropped in DL1, must have been 15 times. And you wait every, and, but then you pick him back up because you're waiting for that breakout, and you're waiting. And turns out the breakup is uh, has has come upon right. us for all. And of one of the guys. things we look at, you know, adjusting. We mentioned earlier about pitching an ERA and adjusting a, a three seven five is good these days. And I think one of the things with these first baseman prospects is that bar at first base is so high because the real baseball industry tells us that a first baseman has to be able to come up and and hit. 30 home runs and drive in 100, and if not, then they're just also rants. And I, I think that's changing things, too. Uh, you know, credit to Paul. He's, he's He was back in on the Josh Bell bandwagon uh, early on. You know, Josh Bell was such a hype prospect, came up, didn't do much. But then he started talking about Josh Bell like four or five weeks ago saying, this dude's making some really good contact. You should check him out and get back in on him. And it, now Josh Bell's starting to do that thing. And you go back, and if these guys don't hit – 
that high mark early on. They seem to get bounced around. I mean, Morrison's played in different places. Alonzo's played in different places. Smoke's played in different places. Well, and it's just, it's such a high yep. expectation. Mitch There's Moreland. another one. It's just high expectations Mi- of Mitchie these Two guys. Bags, which, which, by the way, is a great nickname, Mitchie Two Bags. I, I learned about that nickname. Was that a Jared Carabas nickname? Was that, that his? That Tigers Red Sox game. I, I and then he hit a double. Was, <laughs> that's that's awesome. To, yeah, exactly. He hits doubles all the time. He's he's been really good for Boston, and uh, they do miss Ortiz, but it's not because of Moreland. They just that no one else is like really picking up the slack. It had to be Moreland plus somebody to pick up Ortiz's slack. Moreland's done his end, but nobody else has really uh, kind of picked it up to keep them going. But anyway, um, what I was going to say was, and we do keep referencing yesterday's pod, but I'm going to do it one more time. Ian, you made a great point about how, and I, I, I've made this same point before. It's like completely agree when guys come up and they're not chris bryant no Syndergaard, mike trout jose fernandez right off the bat they get discarded the the prospect uh patience people are so overexcited about prospect it's so weird right because they overhype them when they've done nothing and then the second that they don't do something in the majors they are discarded which is 100 abs 50 abs it's crazy which is the which is the fantasy the best part about dynasty baseball is you get a guy like josh bell or francis Marte. right now is the best time to buy francis Marte in any dynasty league because he's struggling in triple a and he had you know he's shown plus pitches he's you know he's been he's a top 20 prospect on pretty much every list coming into the season. He's struggling in AAA. Then he comes up to the majors and in one inning gives up two runs and his ERA is 18. And it's like, well, I, you know, he just didn't work I thought out. this guy was going to be good. Yeah, be I guess great. What happened to this guy? Because we all think back to Jose Fernandez. I know I do. I had Jose Fernandez. And when he came up, he was a god from yep. day one. He was the Instantly. best pitcher in baseball. And we look at Mike Trout and it's like, hey, if these guys are coming up, they're going to show what they show. No, it takes time. We can't forget. Josh Bell only f- fell to number 32 in the draft because there was questions about signing, signability. You're supposed to go to Texas. Yeah, you're supposed to go, go to the... Uh, yeah, they said they were going yeah, to college. he was going to college. His, his parents are in education. They wrote a letter. They said, nope, our son is going to the University of Texas. Don't even bother. And then right. when you start dangling five, six mil... Things change, and, and you know we bring up. Yeah, Trout. Pirates got, didn't they get in trouble for paying over slot for that too? Wasn't that part of the problem? Uh, they, Was they, they might have really aggressive and dropped the five and a half, six million. Yeah, on th- him? they weren't going to let him go. Like they they weren't going to let Josh Bell go. They knew what they had there, and, and and he's he's been really good. He's turned on the power, which has been particularly impressive, and that's why I'm really in on him. But we mentioned Trout in this list of guys because he was amazing that that rookie year but his actual first taste was bad at age 19 135 plate appearances of an 89 ops plus and and we forget that because he's then become the best player ever over the last six seasons but uh even he even even mike trout had some issues and so i think there's a a, a patience thing now the the thing of it is you can't be patient on every player to the point of getting Justin Smoke, you know, having having had him on your team this whole no. time. I understand you have to cut some of these guys. I think the point we're trying to make is don't forget about them. Don't automatically assume that that they're done. And when you read some of this stuff about changes, 
don't slough it and off when they start to all show, of these guys made changes. Yeah, and when they start to show, and it, all of a sudden you see a week like Smoke had, right? And you go, oh, well, look, there it is. There it is, mm-hmm. maybe. And then you throw your fab dollars out and you grab that guy. You put him at the back of your bench. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get a Yonder Alonso who's doing what he's doing. Or going back to the prospect idea, Aaron Judge was the, was the best buy to make, clearly now, over the summer. Because nobody wanted him. Everyone's like, it was a perfect example. He's two for two he today. Was done. He was done. He was not going to make it. He had had his chance, and he had failed. So, you know, as I told you guys yesterday, I was able in DL1 to trade uh, Sadahiro O for Yadier Alvarez. Um, Sungwon O. And, uh, Sadahiro O is the oh, right. Sorry. home run champion. I was like, I know that name, but that's the wrong. <laughs> yeah, the wrong yeah. What a steal. That was a great deal. Boy, man, you traded I tell the, you. got Aaron Judge for a dead got- guy? Awesome. <laughs> I actually just traded Ted Williams for uh, for Ryan Zimmerman. I and thought I should have got pick. more for Ted Williams. You really yeah, should have. I had... I had to get the pick though, but I still feel like I got a little bit ripped off for Ted Williams. But Jose but, Barrios, but anyway. Jose Barrios is another example of that guy. Yes, seven point two three ERA yeah. last year. It's like nobody wants him coming into this year. It's like the, he didn't forget how to pitch. He was scared. This is scary stuff. You're pitching yep. in front of fifty two thousand people. You're not in. You know, there's no clown on the sidelines. This is dun 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 dun. dun. You're in the show, and it's going to take you know what some they time always to say? adjust. So many guys say that the biggest thing, the biggest thing whenever they get there that they always mention, the third deck. The third deck in the stadium, how how they're like, holy hell, this is, it's just so, so I, different. Uh, yep, back in the day, I uh, when I was doing radio in Orlando, we interviewed Matt Moore when he pitched at the Futures game. And that was like the first question, because they had that game, I believe it was in Arizona. And I said, hey, what was it like seeing a third deck? And, he, and he's like, I just had to take a pause for a second and just look up. And all of a sudden, I can't see over the I can't see over the roof. And yep. I've always been able to do that in any park I've played in. I think, you know, one this year, and this whole thing about getting distracted by what's new and forgetting about what you know, you know, the industry leagues are a victim of this, too. I'm looking back at a write-up that I did in March for AL Labor. Dan Vogelback went eight bucks in that league. Logan Morrison one dollar, Justin Smoke three, and Yonder Alonso one dollar, uh, and that, so people people got distracted about what could be with Vogelbach. And let's understand, he had no major league track record no. at all. No, but he went eight bucks. And then last year, Logan Morrison, after that six for sixty start, was an above average first baseman offensively last year from May first until his season ended with that wrist injury. With Smoke and with Smoke and Alonzo, sure it was kind of like throwing a dart, but maybe you read Eno's article and they're like, you know what, I'm gonna take a chance at that. But people took eight times the chance on a guy with zero major league plate appearances over a guy who was saying, I'm gonna try to hit the ball in the air and try to hit home runs this year. So it, it you know, average players do it, but even your industry vets who spend all you know spend all year doing this stuff and writing about it, they do it too. And again, we're not saying just pick up anybody that's been around for a while and expect them to get good. We just talked about how Matt Wieters has just been has just stagnated as this league average or slightly below guy uh, for going on like a 10-year career now. But if there's discernible changes and you're reading things about it, don't be afraid to take your shot because you're going to be wrong sometimes too, right? They're not all going to pan out. And probably one or two of these guys that we're even talking about in this group will fade back. They'll fall into old habits because it's really like what happens when you hit that first skid? Do you immediately go back to your old patterns or do you stick with what was working and just say, I'm going to get through it? Like that's a big test for these guys. And we haven't really seen Justin Bohr, Ryan Zinnerman, Justin Smoke, Mark Reynolds, Logan Morrison, and Yonder Alonso go into a huge skid. Although actually Alonzo and Morrison both had some, some tough times and they bounced back. Reynolds continues to just rake wow. in cores. Uh, Bohr got hurt and Zimmerman again 
NL MVP right now. If I think if you end the day or if you end the season today, uh, so it has been pretty impressive with these guys. Let's focus a little bit more on these guys specifically. Um, I met, I keep mentioning Zimmerman's been the best of the bunch. Is that your guys's best bet to continue at his high level of this group of first basemen? Ian, I'll start with you. Uh, well, at this level, I mean, 17 home runs, 365 average. 49 RBI. Now, look, he looked like a different player coming back in spring training. He'd lost a lot of weight. He'd been through the frustration of failure after having been a star. I mean, the guy a star was, player. The guy was a star third baseman before he went into his Chuck Knobloch problems. Um, mm-hmm. So, no, there was no there was no suggestion that this was going to happen. But going back to the idea of CeCe, he did show the ability to be an all-star player. And we've seen that again. But the guy that I like the best, and I said this yesterday... Um, and the guy that uh, is, I'm telling you, Yonder Alonso, man, he is for the price, right? You can still pick up Yonder Alonso in leagues. He's still available he in is, certain leagues. He is still available really in, is. In, in ESPN leagues. He's available in 38% of leagues. He's only 62% owned. What's a guy got to do? What's like, a, what, like, I understand first base is super deep, but you can't tell me that he doesn't belong on on a uh, on a reserve roster somewhere and at he, least. And, and in a daily league, you have to start him. I don't care who you mm-hmm. got. You cannot give him a day off. I, I think I gave him a day off a couple of weeks ago when he hit he hit a home run. And then, because I was trying to get Clay Bellinger back in there, right? And then I was like, you know what? I'm sorry. Yonder Alonso is is my corner infielder moving forward unless, you know, he gets hurt. Because And, and so I, I've got a little crush on Yonder, Yonder Alonso. I do too. And it was, it was because of Eno's piece and i've been eno's bullhorn he right he does the amazing work and 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 finds these guys and then i just talk about him and take the credit for it it's been a great it's been a great setup for me because people are like thanking me for ryan healy and i didn't do anything eno discovered oh i was the guy crapping on ryan healy i just i I read eno's stuff i watched more ryan healy and i just i bought in i always credited eno as the guy that put me on ryan healy though same with yonder alonzo he put me on him i would have never given yonder alonzo another look until i read his piece one of the things i love about alonzo and his strikeout rate has gone up but he was always a guy with contact Uh, and i like a guy who has is a proven contact hitter adding the power because uh, when his strikeout rate goes up, now we're going from 14, 15% up to 22, 23%. And I can live with 23% when you got guys like Miguel Sano striking out 35% of the time. So I'm with you, Ian, that I love, love, love what he's doing. Yonder Alonso. I I do still think I would, if I'm ranking them, I do still think I have Zimmerman at the top, but I've got, I've got Bohr and Alonso right there justin who's your uh uh, justin i was just looking at the two justins jason (laughs) who's your favorite of this of this group here you know i'm gonna go the other way and i'm looking at i'm looking for the price justin smoke i mean will you look justin smoke since may 1st is has 14 home runs is hitting 310 and slugging 667 still not getting enough love still not getting enough love he's got the best ballpark of all the guys we've discussed here um Mm -hmm. in in that lineup that's now full strength and so there's a lot of there's a lot of chances for driving runs in in fact he's driven in 31 he's scored 29 and that's as a first baseman it doesn't run well uh that's what he's been able to do and so really that's why i'm locked in on him because he's getting that done every year toronto has that one guy that just comes out of nowhere and is still just in smoke and he's disappointed so many guys but while everybody's being distracted by Alonzo and a little bit by what Morrison's doing smoke is just raking um over here over the last few weeks in that lineup and I picked him up in my NFBC league three four weeks ago and 
right now, like Carlos Santana is on my bench in that league because I'm starting Justin Smoke. If I told you that eight weeks ago, you would have laughed at me. But we that's where why you that's were where I'm at. Baseball. <laughs> uh, one of the things about and you, you you mentioned this name earlier, Ian Aaron Hicks. One of the things I love about Smoke and Hicks this year is they're finally using their switch hitterness. They don't have platoon splits. And yeah. obviously, anytime you can get a switch hitter, it's great because they can hopefully avoid a platoon split. But I've found in recent years, a lot of these platoon or a lot of these guys have a platoon split. So I'm almost like, why do you even switch hit? You don't even maximize it. But both Smoke and Aaron Hicks are absolutely maximizing it. Uh, Hicks has almost no platoon split. Smoke still does, but it's only because he's absolutely killing lefties with an 11.33 OPS, and he's merely uh, maiming righties with a 9.16 OPS. So, (laughs) I mean, he's just been really, really good. Um, So, last question on these, and then then we're going to talk about turn. If you're going to make a, if you're going to trade one of these guys, I I would assume it would you'd want to trade Zimmerman because he is at the highest level right now, and he's on the best team. He's in 365, and you could probably get the most in the market for him. But Ian, I'll start with you. What do you think you can realistically get for Zimmerman? You don't even have to name names. Just give me an idea of what you're looking for if you're going into the market trading a Zimmerman, who you know is a sell high, and so do all your competitors. So you can't just say, give me Chris Sale because he's right next to Chris Sale on the player raider. What do you try to get if you're moving a Ryan Zimmerman? Johnny Cueto. I actually love that. I mean. I love that. You try to get a, a stud who's not quite studying is what you're saying. Yeah. And but but the problem with Zimmerman, and this is something to take seriously. So if no one else is noting this, trade him because his back issues are starting to creep up on him again, and that's going to cause him some real problems. So yeah, I would if you can move Zimmerman and get a Johnny Cueto in the deal, I I would keenly do that. And then look, is we none of us picked Logan Morrison, right? And there's yeah. a reason no, no because he's hitting two thirty seven. Well, and he has a very punchable face. <laughs> I can't, I can't stand Logan Morrison. I really, I would not tell him that he would beat the living shit out of me if I said that to his face. But remarkably punchable face. I cannot stand that case. Yeah, because it, also part of the reason you can't stand him is because he was the number eighteen prospect in baseball, and he has been a failure at every step. Correct. And looked and has always acted like he should be doing better. Like there's something wrong here. I that's, should be. That's the on, thing. I'm the guy. It's. Like, and and he had that Twitter presence, and it was like, you got all the stuff of a star. You have you have the skills and the persona, but you're not a star. And and I don't I don't know what it, I know injuries have been a problem with him too. I will give Logan his Morrison lower that. half, like, yeah, lower half injuries, and that's going to rob power a lot more than I think people uh, generally give credit for. Like when your lower half, when your base isn't there, you can't get you can't do all arms right. You can get some all arm homers here and there, but you can't get. 30 a season if you don't have your base and he's got his base and so his power's up you were going to make a point about his batting average though uh ian go ahead and finish that well, on his Logan batting Morrison. average his batting average is low it's a 234 yes it was 238 but the thing is he's only owned in 43 percent of espn leagues that i'm looking at right here so he's whereas zimmerman's owned in almost every league so if you can flip zimmerman for johnny cueto right and then just pick up logan morrison you're then essentially getting Johnny Cueto and Logan Morrison for Ryan Zimmerman, and you can heal your batting average elsewhere and take the solid, the super solid number two starter that Johnny Cueto is, and, and then, you don't lose the power. And you don't, and right you have percent. seventeen home runs in two hundred at bats. That's yep, that's that, legit, as legit. And as and then, like you said, you go out and you fix the batting average elsewhere. Right, you are going to lose that. 
but but you also got Johnny Cueto. We cannot forget that you got Johnny Cueto in this deal. I, by the way, like I said, I love that name in particular, uh, and that's exactly the realm I think you want to be looking if you're if you're going to try to sell on Zimmerman because that's that's somebody that's a difference maker, right? Johnny Cueto gets hot. And nobody has a hard time seeing him beast out the rest of the way. So I think that that is uh, the, the the kind of name that you would look for. We haven't really given any love to Mark Reynolds. He is out in Coors, the place that we all love as fantasy players. What's his sustainability, Jason? I, I don't think it's sustainable. I I, I made a, a bold prediction in a Rotowire article two weeks ago that says I don't think he eclipses 25 home runs this season. Damn, um, he only yeah. needs eight more. Well, yeah, because he's gotten a little on fire since. I, again, I think he reads the article and is like, "Oh yeah, all right, fine." <laughs> I'll I got show you, you Colette. Uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, that that that's not looking good. That's looking about as good as me saying Ryan Haley's going to hit two fifty with seventeen homers this year. Uh, but when you look, I at, had Masahiro Tanaka as the AL Cy Young. Well, hey, that's okay. I said Matt Moore was going to be efficient this year. Oops. Uh, <laughs> so, but with with Mark Reynolds, we've seen him get on these types of tears. Now we haven't seen him do it really with Colorado. I mean, last year, 450 or so plate appearances, and he had 14 homers. He's already at 17 with fewer than 250. But in the past, he's gotten this playing time and then has really cooled off. And if you look at the other stuff that he's doing, I think some of it's definitely course field. And some of it, I mean, the ball he hit yesterday out of, out of Wrigley was, was impressive. But he's never been able to sustain all of this playing time. Something else has creeped up, whether uh, it crept up, whether his defense has gotten them benched or an injury has gotten in a way because he still hasn't gotten to, right now he's on pace for almost 600 plate appearances. He hasn't been there since 2011. Um, I just mm-hmm. look at that that history of work and think it's it's going to go a little bit south. He's well, at a, he's at an extremely high level right now. And this is the, he's always been launching. He, he launching balls is what he's done throughout his entire career. It's always what he's done. So it's not like there's this tremendous new approach thing to him. He's just he's finding mistakes and crushing them. Ian, what are your thoughts on Mark Reynolds? I mean, he's hit, he's really hitting the ball hard. I mean, he's got a 969 OPS and he's 17 home runs and 217 at bats. I mean, <laughs> you know, every year we go through this where Mark Reynolds is the best player in baseball for, you know, 2 weeks and everybody goes crazy and then he sort of falls off the side of the uh side of the the table. I mean, he just yeah. falls off the table. So, and he's still striking out a tremendous amount. I mean, 61 strikeouts. But at the same time, going back to this idea that sometimes first basemen need a little bit of time, uh, it's not impossible that they may have really found something here. And look, David Dahl's not coming back anytime soon. No. Uh, Para is a really strong fourth. Desmond can move to the outfield. You know, that there is space on that team for his bat. As long as he's riding, um, you, you keep him in your lineup. I mean, he's, he's going to have bad nights. You know, but then he's going to have four for five nights with a home run earlier this week versus Cleveland. He went, he had two homers, five RBI. So you're going to get a little bit of feast and famine with him. If you can trade him, you know, for uh, something, for a good starter, I mean, you could maybe get Jose Quintana for him right now. That's um, another good buy low. Go in yeah. and actually buy low on somebody and try to. That, that's a sell high buy low that you can actually get done. Some of the sell high buy lows that I hear are, are I mean, um, sell high. Yeah, Sahai Balo uh, are comical, but I think this one. I, I actually... think it's a mental thing with him. I, didn't we talk about him last week or so? It's just when you when you know you're going to be traded, and you've been in that organization as long as he has. Uh, with you Quintana, worry... you're saying? Yes, with Quintana, you have to. Once he's traded, he could surge. I mean, right now he's Absolutely. losing three or he's losing three two um, to uh, Carlos Carrasco. But I think for him, it's 
because we've known what he's been able to do year after year after year. And then this year, it's so much different, so much different. And you have to look what's going on and everything else, you know, is not losing velocity. He's not hurt. But the trade rumors have been out there since December with him, and mm-hmm. you got to think it's been wearing on him. And if he can get to a contender, all of a sudden he's got that run support that he's always lacked, and he's uh, in, maybe in a better ballpark as well. And Quintana's definitely somebody I'm looking to be target. And from yeah, a I dynasty league perspective, from a dynasty league perspective, Jose Quintana, I, I something that I saw was the the White Sox locked him up in like a for like a six year deal mm-hmm. at yes. a reasonable at a reasonable price. They chose to do that, which meant that there was something about his mindset and something about the way that he came to work every day that they wanted to be a major part of their team. And that, that suggests to me, it's like these are, the, these, are the, these are the people who know the player the best. No doubt. And, uh, and that, yeah, they locked him up for that big deal. He's still got uh, next year and then two option years at 10.5 and 11.5. And you got to be some kind of awful to not – "Quote unquote," earn that as a major league pitcher. Like that is su- there's such a low bar to actually earn that. You know, e- the year he's having right now. I know he's struggling a 5.30 ERA. Mm. First off, I don't think he's going to finish there. But but even a year like that, y- y- where you're you know maybe a little bit lower, like 4.80, you can put up 180 innings of 4.80, and it still balances out to like being worth about 10 mil if you kind of do the uh, the dollars per war sort of thing, which I know annoys some folks, and I, I understand that it's not the that simple of a calculation. My point is. He'll be a hot commodity if they want to trade him, but I, I understand what you're saying, Jason. Where maybe they just they need to get that done if they're going to do it, or let him know, hey, we're not going to trade you. You know, you're you're, you're safe. Let's dial back in because there's nothing. There's actually added strikeouts. There's no drop in velocity. There's nothing in the profile that says why he should be struggling so much. It's so weird that Jose Quintana sucks this year. I don't understand it. Uh, all right, guys, let's move on to talk about turn. Uh, it's going to be returning for its fourth and final season next week, uh, starting at 9 Eastern on uh, on AMC. That'll be June 17th. Is that correct, guys? Yep, June 17th. And Jason, yep. I'm going to turn it over to you. I Again, I've copped to I don't watch uh, TV. I get behind on big time, especially during the season. But Ian, you mentioned it is on Netflix, and I've made a commitment to uh, to start watching. And if I hate it, I'll tell you. I'll be like, "Listen, man, that was the worst show ever. Don't yep. ever come." I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm very excited to watch it. But Jason, I'm going to turn over the questions to you because you're going to actually know what you're talking about. So go ahead. Yeah. So with, as you said, the uh, it's good. All of the first three seasons are on Netflix now. I just saw the season three hit on uh, I think Friday. Uh, because we were looking through uh, Thursday or Friday because my wife noticed as we were going through uh, Friday night, like, oh, hey, there's turn what season's on and now season three. So we can uh, uh, we rewatch the uh, the final episode 10 of uh, season three just to remind get a setup for th- this weekend coming up with the uh, you said that there's going to be the first two episodes uh, of season four on Saturday night. Yeah. So the first two episodes of season four are going to sort of start right where we ended at the end of season three which is where benedict arnold actually makes his turn against george washington which is part of how what the show is how the show is named turn because it, it as, as you know jason it's it, it sort of really gets into the story of of george washington and and benedict arnold and how they were they were friends and how you know he he wasn't exactly he was never going to be a, this great traitor he was going to be one of the great heroes of our of our country it's about that and also um, about the Culper spy ring, which is really what the show is about. It's about the Wash- it's about Washington's spies very much. Um, it's about this these group of people who nobody really knew about until the until mid twentieth century because they were you know really good at keeping things quiet, and um, they 
they were the turning point and they were the keys to us actually winning the war and, and having this country that we have. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mentioned this yesterday was that, you know, as much of a history buff as I am, I didn't know much of anything about the cult perspiring. And what I've continually been impressed with with the show is as I see things in the show, I then go reference it online and it lines up. There's a little bit of, you know, flexibility with stuff to improve uh, storyline and, and whatnot. But it's it's very accurate in that regard. And I think that's one of the things that impresses me with the show. But one of the other things I the characters in the show. I mean, I don't know who who cast the show, but you know, kudos obviously for them picking you. Uh, but when you look at the rest, I think the I mentioned this also yesterday. But Samuel Workin, who plays uh, Captain John Simcoe on the show, uh, yeah. is probably my favorite bad guy in a show I've seen in a long time. Yeah. Uh, when he's when he comes on the screen. You know something's bad going to happen, and you hate this guy within two episodes of season one. <laughs> yes, and you lo- and you love him. I mean, that's the problem. Oh, yeah. That's the problem is like you're watching him, and you're like, I want this guy to die, kill Simcoe, and then you're like, wait a minute, if they kill Simcoe, Simcoe's not on the show anymore, and that would take away f- from so much of the enjoyment of the show. No, Sam Rukin, beyond being a, a really wonderful man and a really great guy, uh, is a genius of an actor and is has built an incredible character. I told you this yesterday, but um, you know, I don't show up till the middle of season one so they and you really play george do... washington by the way we should mention you, right. you play george washington for those that don't know i play yeah so so i don't show up till the middle of season one there's a lot of talk about washington of course and everything else but they invited me out because you know when the show got picked up for the second season and they knew that they were gonna bring me on into a, a larger role i went to the premiere and i'm sitting next to rukin and i'm watching the premiere i'd never seen it and i'm just keep looking over and i'm like damn dude what the hell are you doing up there it's like watching if in baseball terms it's like watching a pitcher and you're a pitcher and you're like i can't believe you're throwing this stuff like i can't believe this stuff <laughs> to the table here because nobody can hit that i mean that's that's nobody can do what you're doing up there um, so yeah, he's sort of the Clayton Kershaw of our, of our show and he's, uh, he's amazing. He's really amazing. It, yeah. Like you said, you know, that he's so bad as far as what he, you know, as the character that you don't want him to kill. He's like, no, 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 no. We want this guy. Please don't get rid of this character. And it's just, it's phenomenal in that regard. And then just all the other characters, I mean, a couple of the other people, uh, Angus McFadden's in there. People may remember him, uh, from, Braveheart. I'm drawing a blank on the Braveheart. Braveheart. Thank you. Yes, that's where I was drawing a blank from. But then the you know, the female characters, Heather Landon and Megan Warner, play great, strong women that really drive uh, part of this plot line, too. And uh, you know, for me, it's just been great. What can we expect to see in season four? Uh, I guess talk about it from those of us who watch the show and then a little bit from those who are maybe new to the show. Okay, so, I mean, for people who've watched the show, we really do pick up right where we left off, where Arnold has made his turn in Washington. The whole world of George Washington is sort of falling apart. Um, and what our head or what our boss said really is this, this season's about the darkness before the dawn, because what we have at the end, um, is, you know, spoiler alert, we do win the war and we get to see, we (laughs) get to, yeah, we do. And, but we, but we get to see that actually the chances, I said this yesterday, but it's worth saying again, we were essentially the San Diego Padres versus the Chicago Cubs in a, in in a 162 game season, right? It wasn't just like, you know, you can win a two out of three yeah we this war went on for years and there was very little chance that we as the continental army were going to win this war and that's one of the things that surprised me most about doing this show is and and then over the course of this last season we really see how it was that we end up winning this war 
Um, and for history buffs, you're going to see stuff. You're going to meet Rochambeau this season. You're going to spend more time with Lafayette. Hamilton is back this season. And you, you really get, you get a sense of who these people are. And one of the honors for me of playing General Washington is that we, we don't just show the statue of the man. Now, when you first see the show... In season one, you meet the great George Washington, who's smarter than everybody else and who's a step ahead of everybody else. And you're like, yeah, this is the guy who's going to be the father of our country. But then over the course of the next three seasons, what you see is very much a man, not the guy on the dollar bill, not the dour old dude who looks like he's, you know, his shoes are too tight. But somebody who who really is a, char- uh, is a charismatic figure who could get people to get behind him and struggles and makes mistakes consistently. You know, I mean, he he. He, in some ways, was a terrible field general, and you're seeing him struggle with that and seeing, you know, people who are, who, who are trying to turn him in and say, this guy's the worst. Let's get, a new, let's get a new general of the army. So we really do see him in every phase of his, of his time during this time, and it's, uh, it's been a great honor to play. Did, um, did you guys, like, do the cherry tree scene in, in season one, or <laughs> how, how, did that, how did that go? Well, the did cherry you get tree— to chop down a real cherry— I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, okay, a yeah. Stupid question. No, Don't not even stupid. acknowledge it. No, no, honestly, it is asked regularly, and the reality is that there's— you know, there were a lot of stories made up about George Washington— in the that's a myth, right? Century. Yeah, total myth. And so is the, yeah, the, ch- so is the fact that he had myth. wooden teeth. N- wooden none teeth. of that is nope, yeah. not true. None of that is true. But these are these are things that you know they try to make him larger than life. And one of the cool things about our show is you get to kind of get underneath it and see he was a man who did some extraordinary things, but underneath, far from flawed perfect, man. yeah, a very flawed man. And if you look at some of the choices that he made, they were bad, um, and they were mistaken, and they caused damage along the way as well. So. You know, there's, there's, you really get to see it from all sides. Yeah. The, there's the Jason, one, there's the one, go ahead. Uh, I, I was going to say, there's the one episode, and I forget which season it's in. It's the one where George Washington has to try to basically sit, sit down and figure out basically kind of like that dream slash nightmare. I can't really describe yeah. it, but it's mostly spent in the tent. Yeah. That looked like a very intense episode. Kind of describe, I forget which one it is, but I just remember watching that. It was very intense on how you, know, you and the other character played off one another. Um, talk about that one. Okay, that's an episode uh, in season two called Valley Forge. And mm-hmm. basically, as, as you may know, Valley Forge was the most one of the most challenging times for the Continental Army. I mean, people, if, you, if anybody's a fan of the musical Hamilton, they talk about it. It's like they were eating their horses. They had no food. They were freezing. There was no place for people to sleep. And instead of sort of showing it, uh, the whole army going through that experience, what the writers decided to do was do it through the world of George Washington and watch him have really a nervous breakdown. Um, and that's something that happens in season two where you really see him... Uh, you know, he's, he's put to the test, and he has a, a decision that needs to be made. And him and his, his most trusted servant, his slave, really, uh, Billy Lee, um, spend the whole episode together trying to figure out what happens. And Washington has some really terrible moments and then has some amazing moments. So it's, uh, it's, a, it's, been, it, it's been a really amazing experience. And I want to say this. For me, when we were doing the auction that night, and Jason Collette came over to me and was like, dude, I'm so glad to meet you. I was like, come on, man. I am so glad to meet you, Jason. Come on. <laughs> Sleeper in the bus, yo. Crying out loud. Come on now, Paul Spore. Come, guys, this is like, you know, he's like, no, it's, a, you know, I'm like, no, seriously. Seriously, but, stop. You know, when, when he told me, he said, you know, uh, Ian Kahn 
from Turn would would like to be on the on the podcast. And I was like, you know, I, I actually don't watch Turn, but I know exactly who that is. And my experience with you is you being a part and, and a voice of the Tony Kornheiser show, which used to be a radio show that's now turned into a podcast. It's always been available on podcast, but it was a radio show based out in Washington D.C. And now it, uh, it, it is a podcast in the same place. You're a voice for some of the bumpers, and you're a frequent guest. How did you get hooked up with Tony Kornheiser to become such a part of that show? Well, I'm going to be back out there Tuesday night. And um, uh, Tuesday I'm going to be doing the podcast because I'm in D.C. doing an event at the Shakespeare Theater in D.C. And this is premiere week, which is one of the other reasons I'm really grateful we got to do this. So if people want to binge the show, seasons one, two, and three, it's a lot, um, 30 episodes. But then you can sort of catch up with Challenge four. accepted. You can do it, Paul. You <laughs> can do it. Challenge accepted. I watched... Breaking Bad oh, wow. uh, before season four came out in four and a half days. So three seasons in four and a half days. I can do this. I'm, <laughs> I'm taking this as a challenge. Yeah, man. I'm going to put myself on mute. I'm same, going on Netflix. Now, s- same network. That's right. That's right. AMC. So anyway, uh, you become friends with Tony, and, uh, and now, you're, now you're a part of the show, and it's awesome. Yeah, it's really great. And uh, I, I went out for, for some promotion last season in D.C., and I had somebody who got me into part of the interruption. I thought I was going to meet him for like half a second, maybe a minute, shake his hand, because I grew up in a home, in a town that he spent 10 years of his like early years writing when he was writing for Newsday or maybe for the New York Times. So I saw him, and I was like, listen, um, Mr. but it turned out that like I was the only person who was going to be there. He was waiting for me to come. One of the executive producers of the show was a big fan of Turn, so he, he like gave me – I got the red carpet. And we sat down. I said, hey, Mr. Kornheiser, it's a real honor to meet you. Uh, I'm a big fan of yours. And I grew up in Long Beach, Long Island. He's like, Long Beach? Sit down. And so we start talking about, like, all this stuff. And he's like, we hang out for, like, two hours before PTI. Then after PTI, he's like, come up to my office. I'm like, this is the greatest thing. This was funny, too. He's like, so we're talking baseball. He's like, you really know baseball. You know baseball a lot. He's like, do you know Don Rickles? I'm like, (laughs) I know who he is. He's like, you don't know him though. I'm like, no, no, I don't. I, I don't know. He's like, you got to meet Don Rickles because he loves baseball. He's like, do you, do you know Buster Only? I'm like, uh, I mean, I know. I mean, who I he's know like, who you he gotta is. know. I'm gonna introduce you to Buster Only. So I ended up becoming really close friends with him. Went to his house for dinner. We, I got tickets for us to see Hamilton in New York. That's um, amazing. And then you know he invited me to come on the podcast. And then he was gonna be an actor on the show this season. I think I was gonna he probably, say. Yeah, you know that it just didn't it didn't yep. work out. So didn't materialize, it, he, which is unfortunate. Yeah, it was unfortunate. But so it's it's been it, honestly one of the greatest things about uh, this whole experience was been come my friendship with Tony Kornheiser. And yes, indeed, he does sign his texts. He's folks. So I, I, it's my favorite podcast. I, I absolutely love it. And that, again, that's why I was so excited. I was like, hey, man, I can watch the show. I can catch up on that. But I already know, Ian, this is going to be great uh, as a Tony Kornheiser avid listener. And you, I believe you even talked about it on the show and others have, too, is how he'll write you this this letter length text. And then at yep. the end puts Tony. As if you didn't know it was coming from him. <laughs> that just cracks me that up. Was that's like the last most night. old man thing ever. Ian texted us, say, hey, some time's freed up. You think we can do it again tomorrow? My first reply was, you didn't sign your text. Yeah, you should have put signed Ian. Yeah, Ian. No, but he texted me last night. I texted him because I wanted him to come to this event Monday night. And he's like, I can. I, You know, it's after 730 at night, Ian. You know I never leave the house. Um, <laughs> but I'm looking forward to seeing you on Tuesday at Chatter. Cheers, Tony. And I was just like, there it is. I mean, that's what he does. Even if it's a shorter email, he's going to sign Tony. So and funny. There's value to it, man. Because it's like you know it's like and we're done 
You know, it's yes. like you leave it. You send a text message. It's like, hey, wait, is there anything more? No, Tony, no. done. Tony. There's nothing else I'm, to discuss. Tony's done. If you want to reply, that's fine. But to- Tony's done. He right. has said his. He's the piece. best man. It's he, great. He's really, he's really, and it's been a thrill. Thanks, guys, for having me on the show and to give me a chance to talk about Turner. No, I really do appreciate it. Thank you no, for being it, on, and thanks for making it work on Take Two yep. because we were really scared that with this premiere week coming up that you weren't going to be available to us for you know a month or whatever. I mean, it, 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 we were all crushed. And I, I you know, a weird way to phrase this sentence, but I'm kind of glad that all three of us were equally crushed so that we had all the uh, incentive and, and drive to get this going again. Uh, and all people got more content. People got That's more true. content because we have much gone longer. longer. <laughs> we have gone longer, and you know, so. Uh, that's that's that was the upside of this is that we've we've uh, I think we've rehashed about half of what we talked about, but we added yeah. a lot of new stuff we and, and we went longer. Bunch. But um, if people uh, if people want to follow you on Twitter, it's at Ian Khan K A H N. Your yeah. profile says it all: General George Washington on AMC's Turn, Washington Spies, Fantasy Baseball Enthusiast, and I think you have proven that uh, twice to us this weekend. But yeah, after everybody, everybody listens to that, people should uh, people will get that now. Yeah, the bon- the bona fides are there, and uh, I- I'm just thoroughly impressed with with my new best friend Ian Khan. Ian, thank you so much for being on. Uh, Jason, you're off next week, right? Um, I am off no, next no week, which allows you two weeks to watch all the episodes. So you also, you've got you don't have to watch them all. You don't have to watch well, them all the in thing. one week if you want. But you know you got it. You've got a, two weeks until you talk to me again. I, I don't know. I think I might do next week's pod with Ian and. It could be a Wally Pip situation. Wally Pip, yeah, it's been nice not, no, you guys. yeah, but that's Lou. No, it's but he'd be Lou Gehrig. I'm your Wally Pip. That, that's no. Jason Collette, yo. That's Jason Collette. That's yo. Jason Collette, MFR. Come on, uh, no, guys. This was this was a lot of fun. I'm glad we were able to get it done, and uh, we'll go ahead and end it here. So, Ian, good luck with the show in the fourth and final season, and and we'll definitely have you on again uh, down the line to talk the uh, the home stretch of baseball. Maybe we can make something happen in August or in, or September. I would love it. It's great. It's great fun. Sounds yeah. great. Thanks, Best guys. Best luck with all the uh, preview stuff, uh, all the, the launch stuff. I know you got a busy week, and then uh, looking forward to uh, seeing the two hours on Saturday night. Yeah, it, yo, man, fa- text me. Tell me what. Tell me what you guys think of the first two episodes. Jason. Will do. Yeah, will do. All right. Take care.